Our epistle reading and sermon text is Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let me get situated here. All right. This this morning we're going to be in uh, Hebrews four one through thirteen, as we just heard from. And today I get to stand beside all of you as God engages both of us with his word. So let's not delay. Let's get into it. Before we get there, it'll be helpful for us all to review uh, what we've already learned in the book of Hebrews so far. It's, it's kind of a big book. It's a little bit confusing for people who aren't Hebrews. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll review it a little bit to make sure we know where we're going. Now, uh, at root, the book of Hebrews is an argument. It is an argument that the author carefully crafts in order to convince Jewish Christians to endure persecutions and keep their faith. And like any good argument, it is built up in stages uh, with lots of compelling evidence along the way. If you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's nonfiction works, so not Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, but uh, his nonfiction works, you know that as a, as a philosopher and a very good one at that, he likes to build his case over time. So while there's many, many arguments along the way, they're all in service to a a bigger argument. For me, this happened when I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book on miracles. Um, 
I might be an easier audience as I am a Christian, uh, but each chapter was compelling in itself, and I found myself convinced after each one, but you know, only to find there's another chapter after that in which he continues his argument. Well, the author of Hebrews is, is sort of like that. He's got one, one main goal, uh, that his readers will continue to have faith in Christ instead of going back to uh, Jewish religious observances. And so he argues that position throughout the book by way of comparison. Uh, so in chapters 1 and 2, we see that he compares uh, Jesus to the angels in the Torah or the law. He says Jesus is a better messenger than angels, and he comes with a better message than the law. So that's the first stage of his argument. Uh, Jesus is a better messenger. He's got a better message. And then in chapters 3 and 4, the author uh, makes the case that Jesus is a better leader than Moses, which would be pretty controversial to Christians from a Jewish background. And he makes the argument that he leads God's people to a better promise than Moses led them to. So rather than a servant of God like Moses, uh, Jesus is God's own son. So he's a better leader. And at the same time, Moses was leading his people to the promised land, but Jesus leads his people to a promised rest. So Jesus is a better leader leading us to a better promise. And that's where we are today, chapter 4. That's what we'll talk about. Uh, we'll be talking about the promised rest that is offered today by faith in Jesus. Uh, before we get there, let's, let's pray. Father God, bless your people today. Open their ears, open their hearts to receive what you have for them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, often in Hebrews, uh, the author makes his case by use of uh, examples from the Old Testament. Uh, this is the story of, of God's people, which he is very familiar with, uh, that comes out of the Hebrew Bible. And he does this because he knows his audience. He's a, he's a, uh, a uh, good speaker. He wants to have uh, hooks on which uh, that these people can, can hang the, this new teaching that he's giving them. So he references these treasured stories from their past that they can be familiar with. And in chapter 4, the author describes specifically three groups of people who fail to enter his rest, as he says. And he tells us exactly why they fail to do so. Now remember, all of this is in service to his greater goal, to convince his readers to keep their faith. And so today, we'll look at three examples he uses, three examples of those who failed to enter God's promised rest and that'll be your first point. Uh, our second point will be why they failed to enter this promised rest. So who failed to enter and why they failed. And in answering those two questions, I believe that we can see more clearly why we must keep our faith even in the presence of great difficulty. So our first point, um, who failed to enter God's promised rest. First, we're going to look at uh, the Exodus generation. There's a lot of talk about them in this passage. Uh, second, we're going to look at the generation just following them, uh, the people that were under Joshua as a leader. Uh, and then we're going to look at Adam and Eve. So first, uh, the Exodus generation. You can read their story in uh, Numbers 13 and 14, um, which this story references. Now, many of you are probably familiar with uh, the great miracles that God did for the Exodus generation. There was some pretty good ones. Uh, he had the great plagues like locusts and boils and even death. There was a pillar of smoke and fire. I always thought that was cool when I was a kid. 
which led and protected the people of God as they fled Egypt. There was the splitting of the sea where the Israelites walked across on dry land to escape their captors. But there was even smaller, like, practical miracles. God provided them with clothes that wouldn't wear out for 40 years. He provided them with food and water every single day. But even though all these, these people had seen all of these wonderful miracles, they didn't believe in God's power. We know this because when they finally arrived at the edge of the promised land, they had come so far, but they were too afraid to go in. They had sent scouts uh, who had checked out the promised land for them uh, to see what it was about. And it was indeed flowing with milk and honey, uh, which is just kind of a metaphor for it had abundance in the land. But that there were also giants as well. And so they were too afraid to go and face these giants to claim the promise that God had given them. Even though God had told them to go in and face their enemies, they refused. They were too afraid. They did not believe that God would protect them. We've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think of this whenever I take my dog for a run. He gets tired. He's panting. And so I take him in. Uh, we go down to the basement where it's nice and cold. I get him a, a bowl of water, fill it up. But he never wants to drink it. I'm standing there saying, look, I, I know that you're tired and, and, and you're thirsty. You know you're tired and thirsty. Why don't you just take a drink? And he just kind of sits and looks up at me panting. So it seems to be a truism that you can lead a horse or a dog to water, but you can't make them drink. So the Exodus generation is a little bit like that. They came all this way, and then they refused to go in to enter their rest. They were tired, but they wouldn't enter their rest. This is why you see in Hebrews 4.3, God being quoted as saying, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The penalty for failing to enter the promised land was that they would never get to experience the promised benefits. Like relief from their enemies, great farmland and produce they would receive, and the blessing and protection of God. So let me say that again. The penalty for failing to enter the promised land was that they would never get to experience the promised benefits. Now this is really important for us as we read Hebrews because just as the Exodus generation was afraid of being attacked by the people in the land of Canaan, uh, in the promised land, uh, the Jewish Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to were facing a lot of pushback from their friends and their family and their community because of their decision to believe in Jesus. This could be anything from you know a, a snide remark in passing or even up to physical violence or threats of violence. But the author of Hebrews says, don't give up these immense blessings for what is small by comparison. Now remember, the author of Hebrews only offers what is better, right? That's his argument in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is a better messenger with a better message. He's a better leader, leading us to a better promise. So even better than the promised land is the promised rest that he mentions in this passage. He references the word rest 12 times in 13 verses. He wants us to see this rest. We see why in verses 2 and 3. He does this uh, to show us that this promised rest, the rest that we enter by hearing the gospel message and believing with faith, it's better than any promised land. It comes with far greater benefits. And so we must not fail 
to enter it as the Exodus generation did. This is proven in the case of Joshua. Look with me uh, in verse 8. He says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So we know that the Joshua uh, generation, the generation right after the Exodus 1, actually gets to go into the promised land. But the author of Hebrews says in verse 8, Hey, look at Psalm 95. It was written by David much later than the Exodus generation. And it says the promise to enter a greater rest still stands. This tells us that even though Joshua led the the next generation in, even the promised land was nothing compared to the promised rest. Now remember, the Jewish Christians were feeling um, perhaps a bit nostalgic in certain ways. They were thinking that they might have had it better when they were not uh, Jewish Christians but just Jews. And this is the same type of thinking, actually, uh, that the Exodus generation had done. Uh, They say, it was better for us when we were slaves in Egypt. They even say it would be better for us to die in the wilderness than to go into this promised land. And I think that way far far more often than I would like to. If you've ever been uh, ridiculed for your faith or if you've ever felt uh, as if you were less than for being a Christian... If you've ever felt excluded from a community of which you are a part, then you know this feeling. I remember working at my first job, it was a pizza place, when I was told that I was a fool by all my coworkers for believing in God. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, even though I, I love to speak about these things, I was a new Christian, I wanted to talk about these things to everyone, sometimes I felt the urge, the urge to change the subject and to just... Go back to where we're, we're just co-workers and I'm not the Christian guy among you. I wanted to feel part of the community again, not like an outcast. And this is, this is how the Jewish Christians felt. Like it would be easier to go back to when they weren't treated as outcasts because of their beliefs. But the author tells us, no, don't go back to your old ways. Because even the promised land, the height, the great hope of the Jewish people... The greatest desire pales in comparison to the promised rest that we can have today in Jesus. We don't need to look forward to a time where we can enter a certain land of abundance. We have a promise of rest today. That's why he says, as long as, uh, as, long as it's called today, this promise stands. And he tells us also uh, that this promise is nothing new. It's nothing trite, but it is ultimate participation Ultimate inclusion in the greatest community, the community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and all of God's children. Now, we've talked about the Exodus generation. Uh, We've talked about Joshua and the generation that followed that. Uh, Now, here's our third example of those who failed to enter God's rest. We'll talk about Adam and Eve. Look with me in verses 3, the second part of verse 3, and verse 4. The author references Genesis chapter 2 in stating that the promise of entering God's rest has stood, quote, since the foundation of the world. What's he talking about? Well, he quotes Genesis 2-2, saying that on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And now this might be surprising for some of you. Is the author really saying that this promised rest is the same rest that we enter into? Do we enter into God's rest on the seventh day? Well, verse 6 says unequivocally, it still remains 
for some to enter that rest, referencing the rest of verse 4. And this only makes sense, doesn't it? God works for six days, and he rests. And Adam and Eve, who were made in his image, made to perfectly reflect their creator, they were given a work to do before they too would enter God's promised rest, just as he did. So ever since God rested, this promised rest has stood, as our text says, from the foundation of the world, from the seventh day. But of course we know that Adam and Eve too failed to reach this promised rest. They were supposed to have dominion, notably over everything that creeps on the earth. And yet one of those things that creeps upon the earth, the snake, came in to deceive them. And so they failed by disobedience just like the Exodus generation. They stood at the precipice of God's promise and they failed to enter because of disobedience, as Hebrews 4.11 says. And Adam and Eve failed to have dominion over their enemy and they were barred from entering this promised rest. And so, we're beginning to see a theme in these three examples that we've touched on. The author of Hebrews doesn't want his beloved readers, the Jewish Christians, to come all this way having heard the word of truth gospel message which promises them ultimate rest and then just fail to enter because of unbelief verses two and three so maybe you're not a jewish christian i suppose that's many of you but this word still applies to you if you've ever felt rejected from a community of which you are a part these words are for you don't lose faith in the sure promise The promise is worth more than the persecution. If you're a Christian who votes Democrat, you may feel excluded from that community because of your beliefs. If you're a Christian who works or studies in the academy, you may feel like an outcast because of your faith. You may be told you're believing in a fairy tale. If you're a Christian with unbelieving family members, you've most certainly felt this. You might feel rejected at family gatherings. You might be the butt of jokes. Don't lose faith. There is rest. There is a relief. The promise is worth more than the persecution. And the author of Hebrews is pleading with you not to lose heart. Don't come so close to the finish line just to fail to cross it. Though you may be an outcast... In your own community, the God of the universe has made you a part of his own community by faith. What is so beautiful about the rest that God offers us is that it's not something that you look forward to merely, but something that you have for yourself today. That's what the text says. Today you have brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on. Today you have the Holy Spirit to comfort you. Today you have the promise of sure rest. Today you are in the family of God himself. So thus far we've seen our first point. Who failed to enter God's rest? We saw the Exodus generation and then their children, the next generation, led by Joshua. And then we also looked at Adam and Eve, our first parents, and all these failed to enter the promised rest that that is described here. The rest that's been available since the foundation of the world. Now for our second and our last point, we'll look at why exactly these all failed to enter that rest. 
Look with me in uh, verses 2 and 3. They tell us exactly why some failed to enter God's rest, but they also helpfully outline how we are to enter into it. It says, we who believe are the ones who enter that rest. So the process uh, in verse 2 has about three steps, we can, we can say. Uh, the first step is hear the gospel message proclaimed to you. Step two, believe that message with faith. Step three, as a consequence of your faith, you gain access to that promised rest in Christ. Of course, the nature of how one comes to faith is a complicated matter. It's much more complicated than the three-step process. Um, But these are are explored um, far more extensively in other biblical passages. But for now, this author is more focused on this promised rest coming as a consequence of faith. So if you're interested in hearing more about how a person can come to faith and believe and, and what that struggle looks like, you know, you, you can come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to discuss that with you. There are um, other biblical passages that shed a lot of light on that. But what about these others? What about the ones who failed to enter the promised rest? Well, verse 2 gives a fascinating explanation. It says, the message they heard did not mix with faith, is how the language puts it. It did not mingle with belief in the ones who heard. This is confirmed in chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, which come just before our passage. It says, The Exodus generation failed to enter because of disobedience. But then the very next verse clarifies this for us by saying it was actually because of unbelief. In this way, the author uh, cites obedience as a matter of faith, obedience flowing from faith. He says it again in chapter uh, 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We see this elsewhere. Romans fourteen twenty three says, Whatever is not from faith is sin. Jesus says this too in John six twenty nine, saying, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. It's all about faith. And that's why it's so important for the author of Hebrews that the Jewish Christians do not lose this faith because in losing faith, they lose access to these promised benefits. The great benefits of uniting to Christ like forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption into God's community, the Holy Spirit. The author sums up these and other great benefits of the community of God by saying rest. That's his metaphor. This is why he talks about rest so often. It's a shorthand for the benefits of Christ's saving work applied to you by faith. So the rest applies to the faithful every single day. Every single day you have access to these benefits. That's why the author says, as long as it is called today, and today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Tomorrow, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Next week, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In uh, 2019, a book was published called The 21 by Martin Mosbach. Having 21 chapters, it chronicles the lives and impact of each of the 21 Coptic Christian martyrs who died in Libya in 2015. They were not from Libya, they they were from Egypt, but they had moved to Libya for work, and they all lived together in one building in order to save money to send back to their families in Egypt. And in 2015, they were captured by Islamic terrorists, 
and lined up on a beach while being videotaped for the whole world to see. And they were faithful, all of them trusting in Christ, praying to him as their captors stood behind them with knives, ready to strike. In Mosbach's book, he talks most often about the ordinariness of these martyrs. The ordinary faith that they had. The daily faith. They were not professional Christians, as some might say. They were not priests or pastors or evangelists. They were ordinary men who believed that God's promise for them was true. It is not as though they only entered this rest when they die. There's many religions that that promise a rest that you can enter when you die. They understood that they had that rest today. In fact, one among them, a Ghanaian named Matthew Ayuriga, was reportedly told that he could leave. But he said, I too am a Christian. And he chose to suffer alongside his brothers in Christ. These brothers were all peaceful because they truly believed they had already entered God's rest. They already had everything that God could give them. They knew that these things couldn't be taken by anyone, especially their captors. And so they were peaceful. And now we've already spoken about how the Jewish Christians were suffering from the hatred of their fellow ethnic Jews. This included being made to feel like an outcast and and even physical violence, just like the 21 martyrs endured. However, the peace that the martyrs experienced speaks to the rest and the promise that they enjoyed in that very moment. No doubt the Spirit was ministering to those Coptic Christians just as he ministered to the Jewish Christians who were undergoing similar persecution. Now, maybe you aren't in majority non-Christian spaces. Um, Maybe you're not made to feel less than uh, by your peers. Maybe that sting of rejection doesn't really apply in your life, and you're not living in a nation that's hostile to Christians. Or perhaps simply you already experience God's rest. You're trusting in it day by day, and praise God for that. But I would ask you, who are those around you who are struggling and feeling like outcasts because of their faith? Who are your your brothers and sisters here and around the world who feel like they're rejected, who are experiencing persecution? How are you ministering to them? How are you encouraging them and exhorting them, just like the author of Hebrews does here for these Jewish Christians? As the body of Christ, I believe that this text actually models for us what it means to seek out the struggling among us and be for them an anchor and an uplifter. Remind them not to lose faith, that the promise is better than the persecution, that this promise of entering the community of God himself with all of his blessings is trustworthy. And that they're accepted and loved not only by God, but by you as well. So as we come to a close, we've seen two things that the author of Hebrews wishes for us to take from this passage. We've seen the negative examples of uh, those who failed to enter God's rest. And we've seen the reason why they failed, because of their unbelief. And we believe that, that God's promise of rest still stands today. 
for each one of us for as long as it is called today. It's been there for us to enter ever since the seventh day of creation, from the foundation of the world, as our text says. And just as God finished the work of creation and rested, when Jesus had finished ransoming us by his death on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he now rests at the right hand of God the Father. This is why in verse 14 it says, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Likewise, he says elsewhere in chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast our confession because he who has promised is faithful. It is not the strength or fervor of your own faith which qualifies you to enter this promised rest. It is the strength and fervor of the faithful one Jesus, the Son of God, which earns our entry into a rest like his own. And though we believe with the faith of a mustard seed, the one in whom we trust is more powerful than anything in all of creation. He is able to put armies and oppressors to flight. He alone is capable to give you rest from your own sufferings. And though your sufferings and those of your brothers and sisters around you may overwhelm you, There is one who has overcome both death and the grave. Take heart, Christian. Have faith. For he who is promised will surely be faithful to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you together today for the small deposit of faith that you've made in each of our hearts. We pray that you would guard us and guide us. That you would keep us from all harm. We trust in you. We rely on you. We depend on you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.